Awesome. Well, it is this our is second. second edition yes. of Let's Talk Club Management, our podcast, uh, this second half of May. And I know it's getting warm out there and we can see Memorial Day and we can also see another very important day on the calendar and that is Kyle's birthday. Oh. So I hope all of our listeners will join me in wishing Kyle a happy, happy birthday. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you. I'm excited because my birthday happens to just fall around a long weekend. So that's that's the most exciting part about birthdays near holidays. So yay. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, we have a fabulous episode for you for the last half of May. Um, It's a it's a packed episode. There's a lot of content here. So and all of it is important and good to listen to. So skippers don't skip. Absolutely. Uh, We are going to start today uh, continuing our research trend and talking with Hunter Kim with um, the University of North Texas about a research project uh, funded through the Faculty Research Grant Program with the Club Foundation and the support of the CMA Research uh, Department. Uh, And that's our first episode. And then we, first half the episode, and then we are going to dive into... National Golf Day! Yes. This is favorite thing ever. I pushed for this. I just would like it to be known that I pushed to have this as a topic because um, I know how important National Golf Day is to Melissa, and I wanted to give her an opportunity to talk about it, but we also invited our good friend Hava McKeel to join us, um, and Hava, was, Hava is with GCSAA, and you'll get to hear a little bit more about her and from her later on in the episode, but she and Melissa get to break down National Golf Day for us and talk a little bit about why our advocacy work is so important, so we're excited. Well, let's get rolling. So we are excited to dive into research, um, a new phase for clubs, specifically for membership and management, um, with uh, Young Hoon Hunter Kim, PhD, Professor and Director of Global Research and Innovation Lab at the University of North Texas. Um, This was funded with the Club Foundation Faculty Research Grant Program, and it supports club industry research projects and efforts on part of hospitality faculty members um, at accredited four-year institutions uh, that have an established hospitality hospitality district program. And grantees actually receive uh, support from CMA's research and education departments, and they're also considered for funding based from the Club Foundation based on availability. Um, applications go through a rigorous process to reviewed and evaluated for approval by the research committee. And the recipients are required to share this information with CMA members. And that is part of uh, why we wanted to bring Hunter on our, in our first international interview. Uh, so let's dive right on in. We are thrilled to have you with us today for our first international interview uh, while you are um out of the country. And so we're so excited. And we said, when we first got on, we said good morning, but it's really what time um, it's so we're recording around eight o'clock Eastern um, daylight time on the East Coast. So tell us what time it is where you are. Right now, exactly 9.06 p.m. So it's about 13 hours different here. But here is uh, what is today's Monday. So Monday evening, I'm sure it's a there is a Monday in the morning, right? Yep. Yes, yes, We're still yep. on the same day, 
Same well, day. Yeah. Opposite ends of the day. <laughs> we definitely are. Well, we are super excited to have you with us and we hope you are doing well. How are you? How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Actually, it's a two weeks, uh, you know, two weeks self-quarantine. Actually, it's a, in spiritually, mentally and physically, I feel like I'm the new person. <laughs> Wake up <laughs> in the morning and doing work. If I sleepy and go to bed <laughs> and wake up, do research again. So I feel good today. Actually, it's tomorrow is a lot. Actually, today is the last day and I'm ready. I'm so ready to get out. I room. believe it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we are really interested to dive into research. And this is a trend um, that we've done on the podcast uh, throughout 2021. So tell us about your research project and what led you to this research project. Okay. Uh, well, uh, maybe they have a lot of, uh, you know, motivation and some kind of internal uh, kind of uh, curiosity. But I think, first of all, I love sports, especially golf. And I used to go to not play, but I go to the golf range at least once in a week. I like, the, you know, you know, physically I can train myself. And at the same time, I like the people to meet at the club. So I think the first, I have to say, reason why I have to you know why I have to start this research. What led me to this research effort is because I love the golf and uh, club people. You know, meet the people and say hi, hang, and you know, those kind of things. And also at the same time, my specific research area is destination in development and community engagement. And club is one of the most important industry and business in the destination. And I still believe, I, I, I don't know these days, but I think it's a still believe the club industry can change our community significantly next five, 10 years. So why not? Actually, I started this research before the COVID, but, uh, you know, so interesting happening. I mean, I, I don't need to talk about all these things, but club industry and club business change a lot. And um, I, well, I cannot talk about that one. Maybe that is uh, my next research, but uh, that was a kind of one of the main reasons. And also at the same time, I had a great uh, research mentors. Uh, his name is uh, Jerry Dickinson, and he was the uh, CFO for the club court for many years. And uh, Kathy O'Neill, and uh, she was a senior VP uh, of the marketing for club course many years. And still, uh, uh, probably not the once in a month, but like four or five times in a year, we got together, have a lunch and dinner. We talk about the club industry and what we can make a better. You know, COVID, before the COVID, I think is uh, we kind of devastate, uh, you know, kind of struggle uh, with the club industry, right? Club business. So uh, what we can do, what we as an educator uh, can help in a club industry and those kind of topic we discuss. And uh, also at the same time, uh, I love the LPGA too. So, uh, you know, I have two daughters and always I was thinking, say, well, is that what I can do for my two daughter and as a father 
And, you know, I tried to put the puzzle keyword golf and female LPGA, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, right now, I think since 2016, I think 17, I walked with the LPGA uh, and one actually one big event here in Texas, in Texas shootout. And I walked with uh, the Michael King, volunteer of America. And it's just, I don't know. It's not, I'm working for them. It's not volunteering, but I feel some kind of uh, happiness when I'm working with them and also working for golf industry and club industry. So it's all everything is together. Even when I was doing this under pandemic, it was fun. It was not, you know, you know, it's angry or anything. It's just like having fun, happy. And it, well, I got a lot of reject call from the gentleman, but it's okay. I pick up the phone again and I call them say, well, can you help for the interview? Because this is help for the club industry. It's not for my project. So I think those are the, the main reason for this research and keep and kept me going on, going on for the next. Great. It definitely sounds like it was not only, you know, a, a great research project, but kind of a passion project um, based on your interests. What I think, you know, so that always finds a great way to, to motivate you and you can put all of those things into one project. Yes, so, absolutely. Yes. Let's dive into the project. So what are the top takeaways you found in your research? Uh, well, uh, we have a many uh, takeaway from my finding because it's good research by the way <laughs> but i absolutely, can summarize absolutely and we're going to share we are going to share the whole the whole research project with our show notes as well so you'll get to you can dive into the all of our listeners will be able to dive into the full full uh, project thank you so much by the way is uh, i think as i submitted like five or i think four or five page but whole project is about 30 page by the way because Milka want to have a reduced content. Yeah, so yeah. I just summed the four, pipe, uh, four or five page, but uh, uh, was a kind of interesting, have a good finding. And that's why I apply for the next grant uh, and, and I received that one. So I'm working right now for the next grant too. Awesome. Uh, but I can summarize them in the four or five highlights, what I found in this uh, uh, research project. The first, family oriented non-contact event can be used to motivate the club members to interact with other family members under pandemic right during the pandemic uh, maybe right now is a big change but i think at that point there was kind of you know only one reason and why how we can motivate the club members to interact other members for example like a wine tasting or a cocktail party on friday night using virtual tool like a Zoom or rotating face-to-face -face event to satisfy the social category, social. I think that was a very key word. And variety of the beverage choice or special item can be delivered to the members before actual event. And this activity may fulfill the need for dining category as well, like a banquet, restaurant, bar, coffee and snack. And actually, from my my own country club, actually, I, 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 so my, me as a member, 
and I experienced at the beginning, nobody want to have uh, some kind of social, you know, activity. But uh, time went by and uh, we had a somehow have an interaction. Of course, we have a social distance, but some kind of wine tasting. And, you know, after we have some kind of social distancing and we have some kind of sharing food together and that helped a lot. And, you know, as a human being. Uh, second one is from the marketing perspective, food service and dining should be explored on how best to attract more club members. The use of the current facility can be maximized. The first, the innovative action takeout service, uh, probably some kind of new technology like application. And also maybe some very fast order pickup service for golfers between nine and 10th hole, right? After you play ninth hole, let's say uh, you're kind of behind like a four five stroke and you kind of, oh, I want to go 10th hole. I want to make up, right? So everybody have anxiety. You want to go next 10th hole and you do not want to spend 20 or 30 minutes at the clubhouse. So maybe those kind of technology can help. And also self-serve snack bar on site. And maybe that is kind of generate the small, but I think it's also at the same time help the golfers have some more small kind of social activity, given that point. Uh, third one, new educational program may help. Uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic and possibly for some time thereafter, members may be hesitant to use the club, uh, country club facility. This strategy will help club operators to manage members' psychological dissatisfaction by not being unable to use the club facility. Also, club operators can maximize the use of this time to renovate the existing facility for the new normal time. And personally, I saw a lot actually here in even Texas. I can name the, uh, the country club. And it's, it's not because I like to play golf, but I was trying to see it observed. <laughs> so maybe off the record, I can talk about the, the, even the club, the name, yeah. Yes. In the forest, yeah, in the forest, uh, with the uncertain condition of the economy and club industry, the age of management, and I think it's in the paper I emphasize this, flexible management. It's not anymore traditional top-down from the general manager and assistant manager. And also with the SOP, some segmented and detailed SOP, standard operation procedure in the different phase may help the management. And we all know uh, before the pandemic, maybe we club industry, very traditional. I think that is a strength, but at the same time was a weakness. So if we can have a, some detailed ongoing, uh, you know, SOP and uh, detailed SOP will help not just general manager, all the employee, even club members to understand better under some uh, the bad situation or condition, right? And uh, maybe last finding is about uh, two category, membership and operation can be a good keyword, right? 
uh, you know, people want to join the club, be engaged with the people who has a similar interest and share their life value. So I believe the club operator and staff should broaden the understanding of members and learn more how to serve them correctly. So one temporary fix for smaller country club would be consider reducing service and embrace the traditional kind of style. Yeah, maybe, you know, we have to focus on real, what is the real purpose of the club? Golf, tennis, or social networking. Because sometimes, well, we believe, okay, food and beverage and social networking is important. Maybe we spend too much time for that one. But maybe we can just more focus on the club. Maybe invite the professional golfers and have a, some kind of event and about the training session and learning session. Maybe they have some real golf passion people can help and understand better. Yeah, so I think it's a, those five things uh, are the, some kind of primary finding and it's a good uh, takeaway uh, finding in this project. Awesome. I was going to say those are so key in that that last portion about really knowing your market and tailoring it to the members that you have, I think is is so key um, and yes, certainly sir. now. Mm -hmm. So what in during the project, what, if anything, did you find surprising as you were looking at the research and conducting your interviews? Well, the so funny thing is, <laughs> uh, well, I guess there was not real surprise, surprise for me. Uh, well, I, I wish I had, but there is no surprise, surprise. But one interesting comment and statement and learning from the club managers was communication with your members. Tim is the paramount. We are the hospitality people. Being transparent on what you're doing, why is it extremely important to maintain trust with those groups? Do not settle and turn a blind eye to what you can do, but reinvent, innovate, and be a champion for doing things differently. So uh, this statement tell me everything. Yeah. So as a club industry people, and they not just take care of the customer, they try to be a family and they know what they need. And that is more important. So even during the pandemic, the trust and communication was a one keyword and emphasize. And it was uh, the most and great learning, not a surprise. Yes. Yeah, I think a, we can a... back that up for sure. Just <laughs> anecdotally, things that we've heard from our members, the managers at, at clubs around the country, um, uh -huh. I think give that example every day, specifically through the pandemic, they were constantly having to think outside of the box and, uh -huh. you know, have that mindset of innovation and growth um, uh -huh. while still thinking of ways that they can bring their community their club community together um, and find ways that they can still interact and and see each other, even if it's from a distance or, yes. uh, you know, virtually, however it may be. But I think that that's absolutely spot on. I, I would venture to guess Melissa would agree with me there. But, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that, yeah, that is a big difference, like general industry and club industry. And maybe I want to include the hospitality industry, but we are the people people mm -hmm. industry. 
And uh, maybe at the beginning, it was a shock or, you know, it's like a, as a word, like pandemic mm -hmm. was a, some kind of big dead disaster. But after a couple, couple months later, I can see the some big power and get together and they try to overcome, uh, you know, working together. I can see it. Even, uh, you know, the club I go to and I can see that they work together and oh, wow. And I, I was so proud of uh, doing research in this area, and I, I'm the I'm the you know teacher and professor in this industry, and uh, I'm working on this project. So I think that was actually a great finding. Maybe they have some great finding, but I think those are the real real finding uh, based on my observation. Yes, absolutely, that's fantastic, and I think it's it's just it's kind of heartwarming in that way to see this industry come together and, and build each other up through, through a time that has been so scary and uncertain. And um, it's, we're, we're really proud too to be part of the industry and to see what our members have been able to accomplish throughout the last year. So I'm glad that our, our own findings are in alignment. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> So our final question today is is really, you know, how, how would you envision today's club management professionals incorporating your findings into the day-to-day -day operations and decisions? I know you gave some great examples um, in, your, in your five top takeaways, um, but, you know, what else do you see our club management professionals uh, doing with the research and, and kind of using that to help shape their decisions as they move forward? Yeah. Well, actually, before I, before I start my statement, and I want to just make sure I'm not a real professional, and I'm sure we have a tons of tons of the professional experts in our club industry, and I want to just recommend and provide my recommendations based on my research. So I want to just a little bit step back and make sure to cover myself, okay? I'm not an expert. I'm not just, oh, I'm the big scholar or something. But anyway, uh, based on my finding, I have uh, like four or five uh, recommendations. Uh, the first the category COVID-19 included the keyword that imply most club managers are concerned about the pandemic outbreak. Of course, they are developing effective strategies for minimizing the impact. The most constantly used word, the COVID-19 category was uh, safety. So according to the interview, according to the interview, many clubs officials are trying to comply with the safety regulation under the state government to ensure preventive measures against the pandemic. Due to the nature of the sports facility prone to human-to-human -human contact, it is perceived as important for club managers and members to follow the safety protocol thoroughly. So this is my personal recommendation. So it is strongly recommend for column management professional to have systemized safety protocol manual, please, like a handbook. And that should be prepared for any possible situation in the future. And if we have, I mean, it's fine. I mean, we are the human being. We cannot be 100%, right? Even medical doctor cannot 100% cure and you know care the all everything. So at least if we have some handbook and standard operation procedure SOP, uh, maybe we can just follow the protocol. 
and not because I'm from originally from Korea, but at the beginning, the Korean government can, uh, you know, maintain the low rate of the case because they have some kind of protocol. Because that is one part of the, my research project, but like uh, Korea is right now is divided by South and North Korea. And uh, that is one learning because uh, the Korean government always they have a policy in the emergency situation. And most of the Korean people, they follow the policy. So, uh, you know, I can tell and as a as a one citizen of the US and we can do it right. We can do it if you have a you know SOP and handle, but we can follow it. I mean, we cannot 100% cure in COVID-19, but at least we can prevent. Second, the category dining include the keyword that infer club management is not only responsible for sports facility, but also for food and beverage. So my strong recommendation innovative dining management with the recent technology. I talk about the, some application or some kind of technology and development of the new menu, okay, are required to respond to demand, big, huge demand and change by members. Yeah, as members, it's not happy every day. They wanna have a, some good menu, new menu and everything, right? Yes, so I think that is important. And maybe a third category is a facility and amenity. Yeah. So when we talk about the club and everybody think about the golf, but tennis one is the one big part. And all the interview country club had a tennis facility, indoor, outdoor, clay, and so on. And in fact, tennis is recognized as an important source of the revenue for club management. So tennis facility and program should be well managed and maintain as we do for golf. Uh, maybe fourth, since the category membership has been found as the most keyword comparing to other category, the membership process, for example, retention and recruiting is a potential, the most critical issue on the mind of the club management. So, it should be discussed and planned well from how to recruit our members to how to serve our members. And maybe last one in fifth and sixth. In fifth, the category operation implies the organization structure and operation process of the club management. In addition, the sixth, the category is a social, suggests the club members use mobile apps, emails, website, social network like Instagram and Facebook I use to communicate with the members and notify social event. Therefore, it is a strongly recommend to improve and update the communication tools with the internal employee and members as well. So probably some technology should be, should be, must be added or upgraded for communication and club facility. Yeah. It's not an Instagram or Facebook. I still just got to receive the email from my club. Uh, well, you know, everybody received the email like more than 200, 300. And if I go to the club and do practice and uh, the range is now open, I'm very disappointed. <laughs> so everybody want to have a, some right now. I want to have the information right away.
So I think we have to some update some technology. So probably that is all my answer. Absolutely. Oh, I'll just chime in and say that last point, Melissa and I agree with 100%. As <laughs> communications professionals, we know that not only does having up-to-date and upgraded technology help communications efforts, but it keeps everyone happy to, when they get the right information on time. <laughs> it's so much better. So, yes, strong agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, I go to the range and, you know, I was trying to plan and say, well, we have uh, some kind of uh, whatever event that we're going to close the range. And I said, okay, all right. It's, like, oh. it's okay, but I'm not happy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, you know, thank you so much for sharing this with us. Um, I think uh -huh. I certainly learned a lot and I actually really do look forward to checking out the full research report, even though it's, you know, 30 pages or whatever. I like learning, <laughs> so it's fine. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think this is fantastic and there are a lot of really great takeaways from your work and what you've done. And I just want to, you know, give you our biggest heartfelt thank you for joining us and taking time out of your your day. I know it's late there, but uh, we're so grateful to have your expertise and your work because it will really help, I believe, our members significantly to to see this research and hopefully then apply it in their their day to day. Thank you Thanks so much. And I know you mentioned earlier that you are working on future research. So we, we look forward to seeing your next uh, next project and, and topic. Absolutely. Well, Sounds good, because the next project is kind of further investigation. Right now, kind of brief interview, but next uh, project is going to be survey with the members and how they feel like engagement emotionally. So it's not just kind of pretend or something. I want to look at inside. And I'm sure it's going to be a lot of challenge because the members say, well, I do not want to do it. Don't bother me. <laughs> But I need your your help. Uh, well, of course, I'm going to ask the Jerry and Kathy, and please let me get some survey. But I think it's uh, after we have a uh, good findings, it's always is uh, absolutely is uh, some kind of uh, pleasure and happiness, and uh, to talk about the result because it's it's not about my personal opinion; it's based on the research. So I, I, I hope is I can contribute this some little bit. To the club industry and uh, if we can make a better and better absolutely year. absolutely well thank you so much thank for that you. work we we're greatly appreciative of it too and we wish you luck with the next phase of your research but for now i think that wraps us up so thank you thank you thank you so much for joining us and uh, hopefully we can have you back on the podcast down the road sometime and we can chat more about your work oh, okay but not not the next time is when i was in korea or japan or <laughs> Exactly. We can do it in the <laughs> when I was in Texas, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We are so excited to have Hava McKeel today here with us to talk about National Golf Day. And uh, it has been my pleasure to be part of National Golf Day for the past 13 years. And it has been amazing to have Hava um, leading that charge for the last 13 years. So she is the Director of Government Affairs for the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America, GCSAA, and she directs and manages programs and activities of the Government Affairs Department to advance the overall image of superintendents and the greater golf industry. She provides regulatory compliance information to GCSA members to establish themselves as experts on managing risk at their facility, 
She has a bachelor's degree in political science and geography from the University of Kansas, and she worked in the Kansas State Senate. So thank you so much, Hava, for being with us today. How are you doing out there? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. I mean, summer's approaching and I just got my summer vacation planned yesterday. So Yay. I'm going to roll. I, I know after a super busy National Golf Day and this month of May has been super busy for all of us, um, you definitely deserve a vacation. So um, I hope you get a nice, you know, four, four week break. That would be great. Away somewhere tropical. I just got my second vaccine shot. So I have not been on an airplane since March of 2020. So my first trip post pandemic is going to be a fun trip out to the East Coast. Yay. Nice. Yes. Well, you deserve it. And that is going to be awesome. All right. So Hava, let's take them back. Let's go back to the beginning of this. So how did National Golf Day come together? How did it get started? Well, Melissa, if we have to go back, we have to go way, way back. <laughs> Um, we have to go back into the 70s because it's in the 70s when golf the sport got embedded in the IRS tax code as what the golf ind industry defines as kind of a, a sin group, a sin list of businesses like massage parlors and dog tracks and tattoo parlors. And what happened was that language, that IRS tax code language, made its way into three prominent pieces of legislation. And I always say that was kind of the one, two, three knockout punch that uh, prompted the formation of We Are Golf. So first, you had Hurricane Katrina in 2006, and businesses that needed to recover, rebuild from that national disaster uh, we're using, you know, going to use some funds and some tax incentives from Congress to do so, but golf was excluded. And same in 2008, the Midwest disaster tax relief was passed by Congress. We had tornadoes, you know, whipping around Iowa and surrounding states. And again, Congress was providing relief for recovery, rebuilding, but golf was excluded. And so the final blow was at the end of the Bush administration, started the Obama administration, the economy was down. Uh, we, we had to pass a, a jobs creator, a job stimulus bill in Congress to try to prompt the, the stimulating the economy. And guess what? Golf out again. That was a real wake up call. And so we, we have an image problem with the industry. And that led to the formation of We Are Golf which is all of the golf industry coming together to talk to media, public, policymakers about the benefits of the industry, kind of explain who the industry really is. Not ask for special favors, but get on a level playing field. And National Golf Day was a natural uh, extension of that. That is our annual time when the industry can come together at the federal level, we go to Washington and we go to Capitol Hill, we meet with our lawmakers, we meet with their staff, and we talk to them about what golf is, what it's not, and we talk to them about issues that we care about. So that's that's the origins of this. And it's a long game we're playing, <laughs> and uh, it's benefited us to be in Washington over time. Absolutely. Well, and that leads to a really interesting question, I think, coming next, is that this year, we didn't have that in-person 
visit opportunity. So why don't you both talk a little bit about what the virtual experience of National Golf Day was like and how that's how it's different to have those Hill meetings virtually and maybe what are some of the pros and cons of that experience? Sure. I would say, you know, uh, first off, it there were a lot of positives to having virtual. You know, we, we had to, to go with wh- where the restrictions took us. Um, and certainly, you know, there are limitations in D.C. on gatherings. We certainly couldn't have a group the size we've normally had. Um, and I will just say, you know, this event has grown. Um, I remember the first National Golf Day and we had just about 85 people. I went back and looked at, at, at some some. Uh, some signups information I had. And, you know, this year um, in the virtual space, you know, we had more than 200 people participating in meetings across all of our associations, um, including GCSA, CMAA, um, you know, our friends at the owners, the architects, the builders, the PGA, I mean, just across the entire space, the LPGA. And, um, you know, so this event has substantially grown. Um, and while there's no sp- direct cost in participating to the participant, there's no registration fee. Obviously, there is a cost that they have to incur in terms of travel and accommodations here in D.C. So it really made this event accessible across the board to anyone who wanted to participate to participate ac- across the industry. You know, while they didn't have to give, um, they didn't have to invest there, they did have to give their time. And that's certainly the most valuable resource that all of our members have. And so for us, you know, we were so excited, the number of CMA legislative chairmen from across the country who were able to participate, who normally wouldn't be able to have hopped on a plane and done the full event, um, could participate. And that's such a positive thing um, in terms of of participation and just attracting new people to the event. I would add to what Melissa said, and you know, I've had some uh, individuals that participated in the virtual event share with me that you know this was their first time doing this, and one of the positives was they've always been nervous about the even the idea of actually walking into a lawmaker's office and having to talk to them about issues. You know, they're just frightened, but being able to do it first. In, a, in their own home, in their office, from the comforts of a safe space, they really enjoyed having that first experience of this being virtual. And now they are like, I can do this. This was not that difficult. You know, it wasn't as scary as I built it up in my mind. So I think next year I'm going to make the investment and head to Washington and go with the group. So I think that's really positive. You know, the negatives are, are going to be, you know, if somebody didn't show up for a meeting sure. that was planned or if there was a technology glitch, but those things happen in person as well. So, um, but I think overall, it was a very positive experience for the 200 plus people that, that participated in over 250 meetings on the 12th. That's awesome. I think it's kind of like getting to test drive a trip to the Capitol, right? Like you get to, you kind of get to see inside, like what's behind that person over there. You get an idea, but yeah, it's super comfortable to do it from either your house or your own office. And uh, yeah, I think it breaks down a lot of barriers. And to your point, Melissa, it made it super accessible to people to be able to participate from anywhere in the country and on, you know, their scheduling their time was so much easier, which I think is always fantastic. Anytime you can get involved in in policy work and advocacy is is uh, is a great time. So that's my pitch for for next year. CMA members participate. Um, <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about some of the policy 
issues that were a priority this year. So um, do you want to break down what were the top two or three things that you guys took to the Hill this year? I'll just share that when we went into this uh, exercise of pulling this event off, we brought all the government affairs professionals for the industry together. And we talked about like, what would be our strategy? What would be our approach this year uh, doing a virtual event at National Golf Day? And there were factors at play. Um, we just came off a national election and there's a whole lot of new members of Congress, many of which have never set foot on a golf course before. So they know nothing about their, our industry, but yet they're making decisions regularly that impact us. We were also in a pandemic and there were some really positive things that came out of the pandemic, some silver linings. Um, you know, yes, some small businesses were impacted negatively, but we also had people coming out to play uh, for the first time. Um, we had rounds up. And we worked very positively, cooperatively with the federal government to put our social distancing guidelines together, back, back to uh, golf guidelines. And so we were kind of coming off the high of that as, as being more visibly seen by the public as something that's positive um, towards health and wellness. So with that in mind, we decided to you know, choose issues that would be positive and build on that momentum, have a positive agenda. So we picked three issues. Uh, one was uh, the best management practices. Um, that was kind of our environmental bucket. And the industry came together. Uh, GCSA kind of spearheaded this effort, but we decided back in 2017 to have all 50 states put together a comprehensive environmental and agronomic best management practices program to protect the environment. And we achieved that goal at the end of 2020. And so we wanted to make sure that everyone knew about that. That's a big darn deal for the industry um, in terms of environmental stewardship. So our second issue we talked about was the FIT Act. And the FIT Act, again, is about health and wellness. And so it would, you know, it costs money sometimes to do physical activities. And sometimes the cost of doing physical activities people participating. We, we saw during the pandemic how important it is for people to, you know, to focus on health and wellness, mental and physical health and wellness. So there's actually a piece of legislation in Congress right now that would allow you to set pre-tax dollars aside and would allow you to use those dollars to participate in the game of golf, like purchase the equipment that you need to play. I think it's a thousand an individual, two thousand a family. I won't get too far down in the weeds here. But we wanted to generate more co-sponsors for you know this bill and try to push it closer to the finish line. And Melissa, you know, you want to talk about our third issue. Um, you kind of covered that on National Golf Day training, but it was on the H2B visa program. Sure. So, you know, one of the issues that our industry is facing is really the need for a trained, legal, and available seasonal workforce. You know, we have a very seasonal business. You know, people play golf and tennis and use the yacht facilities during warm weather, right? In the middle of January, unless you're in Florida or the Sun Belt, you're not out there. And, um, you know, and that that creates a unique situation for um the golf and club industry. And so one of the issues we have is, is access to those H2B visas. Um, and you know there has been a shortage um, of, of availability for those four years. So one of the things we talked about in our meetings was really bringing back the exemption that would 
which is called the returning worker exemption, which would allow folks who've used the program in the previous three fiscal years successfully to be exempted from being counted in the annual 66,000 cap. And the thing to think about with that cap is that's not a cap for golf and clubs. That's a cap for across all seasonal positions. So amusement parks, hotels, landscaping, any of those organizations that use those. Um, and those just have run out earlier and earlier every year. And we, we still continue to face issues. But if you don't want the update, check the blogs. We do have some good news um, on those this week. So um, I'll plug the ledge report blog while I'm at it. Um, you know, re read our emails. We won't go into that on this this call. But um, you know, so th those were the three issues that we talked about. And obviously, you know, in those conversations, you know, it was a great opportunity for our members to share what's going on in their facilities and whether it's how they're handling a labor challenge or how they're um, implementing those environmental standards. Which, you, if you haven't seen and checked out for your um, for your state check go to gcsa's website and and look at them it's, it's really an amazing project that they did and certainly in such a short period of time so hava to you and gcsa and the entire team that worked on that it's it's a phenomenal project um you Thank know you. that it's great to have those great stories to tell it's great to to, to be able to show and show those research-based practices it's just phenomenal and and so we had great conversations on the hill on all these topics and i don't know about you hava but i just said so many um, folks who had great follow-up questions afterwards, our members, you know, engaged with staffers who had more questions or needed more information or research, and which is just great. And it just continues to keep that dialogue open for as we move forward into the rest of the year. Yeah, I was really pleased, Melissa, um, at the receptivity of the members of Congress and the staff that we met with on National Golf Day. I actually got to be part of the delegation of the CEOs that went to separate meetings than the ones that the that our grassroots went to. And in each case, they were very open to listening to us and very impressed with the BMP's initiative for sure. That's absolutely. We, we we definitely found that in that. I was I was coupled with the Virginia delegation, and I will tell you, very um, very interested in in tune meetings. For yeah. sure, I think this this goes National Golf Day itself goes a really long way in. Um, I think Hava, you mentioned this earlier, but really sort of breaking down the socially accepted stereotypes of golf and like what people view golf as, whether it's an elitist sport or or whatever, um, but the importance of having these conversations and having our rep representatives from across the golf industry come and talk about the larger impacts of the game, um, not only on those who play, but on the environment, on the people who work in golf facilities. Um, th that's so important. And I think it, it speaks to the far reach that golf has beyond just this idea of rich white people going and playing a game outside in a fancy space. Um, and I think that's really, really important. And, and um, I hope that the work that you all do continues and continues to sort of break down those barriers. So I just want to give some golf claps for that excellent work that you all are doing. To, to your point, um, I've been going to the Hill for over a decade now. And I will tell you that the one talking point that probably raises the most eyebrows or the staff or you know will get their pencil out and start writing down real quick is that statistic about 75 percent of golf courses being played at public facilities and there's just this i i don't know it's if it's because 
on television, you see more of the high, you know, high end, the tournaments, the kind of the elite side of the sport, and you see less of the non elite side of the sport. But there's just this perception that it's kind of the uh, the opposite of that. That almost all of golf is kind of at in a country club setting, mm -hmm. and that there's very little public play going on. And we love both, obviously. We love public and private facilities, and they have great benefit. But it's there's just um, a very mis. This industry is very misunderstood, and so you know, I I work kind of on the environmental space of golf. And um, I can tell you definitively that that is very misunderstood in terms of input use, what goes into the creation of a beautiful green space. Um, that's why I've been in this industry for 20 years, because I find no greater pleasure than going in and talking to the media, the public and policymakers, and especially the EPA. Um, <laughs> I, I love talking to them about what golf course management actually is and what it is not. And it's um, it's you can really change a lot of people's minds when you present facts and science. Wild. And so, <laughs> yeah. Yay. We like facts. Facts are good. Um, all right. Final question. And this is just for you, Hava. Um, so beyond the impact of, you know, Congress and having these, you know, fun meetings with folks, what do your GCSAA members value about the experience of participating in National Golf Day? You know, I've, I've asked them that question year after year and this year included. And there's a couple of things that rise to the top. First of all, they actually like being well informed about issues impacting their facility and taking on a leadership role at their facility to let other people, you know, the golfers that frequent the property, their employers, their bosses, they like to have that leadership role. And so National Golf Day and advocacy in general affords an opportunity to learn what the issues are that are impacting the industry and of course go out and have a, you know, a say and have your voice heard on it. But they like being able to, you know, have that leadership role at the facility and explain, you know, keep people informed of what's going on and engage them where possible. The other thing that they share with me is they love the networking. They don't always get the opportunity like they do during National Golf Day to get put on a state team with members from the Club Managers Association, the owners, the builders, the PGA, and then all sorts of other organizations you can't even imagine being part of like a state team, getting to know each other for the first time and going in with a mission um, to, you know, again, share facts, data, information about what the sport is, what they care about um, on issues. So they love defending and protecting the industry. I mean, that's a given, but it's that networking that really, that they really enjoy. Um, wouldn't you agree, Melissa? Absolutely. I think it really brings people, brings unique perspectives together. Um, you know, yeah. and I, I, I often get that, that um, apprehensive um, participant who's, you know, I've never done this. I've never gone to the hill. I don't know. And and this year we just had so much feedback. And and certainly I think we've kind of perfected this over time of making sure that our advocates are well armed and and well supported as they go through the process. Whether it's a webinar in advance, whether it's our on-site training, um, and then those other opportunities. You know, we we didn't talk about it. We didn't get into it for this year because it was virtual. But you know, we we normally do have a service project. Um, and yeah. that's a great opportunity where 
you know, I mean, that's where I learned to lay sod and that's a really cool skill to have. And I've <laughs> never laid sod before, but now I have on the national mall and I think about it every time I drive by it, I'm like, I laid that sod. Yes. I still pretend that sod is alive that I laid down. Um, but, um, you know, I think that helps to that opportunity and that casual opportunity to work with other people across teams. Um, you do just meet such amazing folks. And I, I have so many of your members that I've met through this who I just, you know, love and adore um, and love their enthusiasm for our industry. So that, yeah, I really, I appreciate that networking portion of it as well. Yeah, we, we're ready to come back to Washington because we're ready to do the community service project again. We are, we are. We, we miss that one terribly. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that wraps us up. I don't have any other burning questions, but I mean, I'm sure I could come up with something because like we're all policy wonks here and it could be really fun. Um, but Hava, thank you so much for joining us. This was a pleasure and I'm so glad we got to talk about National Golf Day. I think it's one of those hidden gems that um, happens every year, but doesn't get the attention it deserves despite Melissa's best efforts. <laughs> and um, we're just happy to be able to share it on the podcast, so. Well, Melissa and I, we are very close, keep in touch close, and we're working advocacy year round, and we want everyone to participate in National Golf Day annually, but we really need everyone to participate with us year round in all of the local and the state and the federal impact uh, issues that are impacting the industry. So here's my plug <laughs> to, to reach out to Melissa, to reach out to me and figure out a place where you can support the industry year round. Absolutely. 100%. I don't think we, I don't think we could end on a better note than nope. that, Hava. That's perfect. All right. So we have a brief announcement this episode. Normally we have a few. Today we have one. Um, I just want to put out a reminder that nominations for CMAA's board of directors are due by June 30th. So that we have just about a month left to get those nominations in. If you or someone you know is interested in participating in some volunteer leadership with CMAA, uh, nominations for board service are currently open. Interested professional members should consult the established eligibility requirements, which are available on CMAA's website. You can either head to our homepage at cmaa.org um, or you can contact Kim Pasquale for more information or questions if you may have any. Um, but please check all of those out so you can chart your path to board leadership. And as I said, those nomination, that material is due by the end of June, June 30th. So please make sure you get that in if you are looking to advance your leadership within the association. Melissa, I think that wraps us up for this month of May and our second episode. It was a full episode. We hope everybody stuck with us, <laughs> but a lot of great information. Um, do you have anything else we need to talk about? I just want to share, since you mentioned June, a little preview for next month. We are going to dive into recruitment tricks and tips. We know so many of us, our, our um, folks in the hospitality industry are facing um, difficulty finding the staff they need for this amazing economic recovery. And uh, so we want to arm you with some tips and tricks from fellow professionals and industry experts. So check us out the first edition next month. Uh, be right out sometime around June 15th. Yes. 
And until June 15th, uh, we hope you all have a safe and fun Memorial Day weekend. I'm sure everyone will be busy, busy at their clubs. So um, take the time. I hope the weather is good wherever you are. And we will be enjoying the weekend ourselves. And until next month, I'm Kyle. That's Melissa. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Club Management. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, friends. Bye.